Welcome to episode 16 of Revelation, an Idealist Interpretation. I'm Father Ron Shibley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church and producer of this series. If you have not already viewed episode 2, which includes my primer on numerology in Revelation, I urge you to do so since understanding how John used numerology is critical to understanding Revelation and this series. In this episode, the focus is on chapter 11, the account of the two witnesses and the seventh trumpet. John's perspective, as in chapter 10, is still earth looking toward heaven. The chapter is filled with more numerology and more back-references to Old Testament histories and the writings of the prophets. Once again, the illustration is St. John receives his revelation from the Bamberg Apocalypse, an illuminated manuscript from the early 11th century. I have divided the reading of chapter 11 into three parts. The first is verses 1 through 6. The illustration for this slide is St. John with the little book and the rod from the Bamberg Apocalypse. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, And the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. And they will tread the holy city underfoot for forty-two months. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy one thousand two hundred and sixty days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy, and they have power over waters to turn them to blood, to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. The illustration is from Folio 26 of the Bamberg Apocalypse, and St. John holds the little book and the measuring rod or reed he has been given by the angel. The temple of God, which he is, he is instructed to measure, is represented by the square white building at his feet. The Old Testament precedent is the instruction to the prophet Ezekiel in the measuring of the great temple in Ezekiel chapter 40, 41, and 42 in the 25th year of the Babylonian captivity. There are several New Testament precedents from the writings of the Apostle Paul for the concept of the temple and holy city to which John refers in verses 1 and 2. It is not a specific building, even a restored one, but represents the church universal, which is built upon a foundation laid by the prophets and the apostles with Christ as the cornerstone, together with the worshipers filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God, in the Spirit. That's Ephesians 2, verses 19 to 21. Another New Testament precedent is 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. The power given to the Gentiles to trample the holy city in verse 2 may be the same expectation spoken of by Jesus in his prophecy concerning Jerusalem in Luke 2, verse 21, verse 24, and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Numerology appears again in verse 2b, the account of the treading of the holy city underfoot as lasting 42 months, which means 42 lunar months of 30 days each, which is the same as the period three and a half years or 1,260 days, all of which I discussed in episode 2 in the primer on numerology. All these numbers, which appear several times in Revelation, including later in this chapter, suggest something which is incomplete or not fulfilled, an understanding supported by the prophecy in Luke 21:24, read in the previous slide. The two witnesses clothed in sackcloth in verse 3 were understood in the early church as Elijah and Moses, who stood one on each side next to Jesus at the transfiguration. The illustration in the Western church tradition of the late 19th century is a detail from Gustav Doré's Doré's English Bible. The other New Testament precedent is from Matthew 11:21, Jesus' reference to the punishment of the cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida. They would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes, referring to the Jewish tradition of sackcloth as the garment of the penitent. Numerology appears again in the description in verse 3 of how long the two witnesses are to prophesy, 1,260 days, which is the same as 42 months or three and one-half years. This number has an Old Testament precedent in two of Daniel's visions in which references are made to a year plus a year plus half a year. Then the saints shall be given unto his hand for a time and times and half a time. Daniel 7, verse 25. And now from Daniel 12, verse 7. Then I heard a man, the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river. 
when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives for ever and ever that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. Once again, John demonstrates his extensive knowledge of the Hebrew prophets in verses 4, 5, and 6. The Old Testament precedent for the vision of two lampstands and two olive trees may come from Zechariah 4, 1, 2, and 3a, now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who is wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? So I said, I am looking, and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it, and on the stand seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it. The illustration is an early 18th century Russian Orthodox icon of the prophet Zechariah from the iconostasis at a monastery outside Kiji in Karelia, Russia. The Old Testament precedent for the fate of those who harm the two witnesses in verses 4, 5, and 6, that is, being devoured by fire from the mouth of the witnesses and the bringing down of plagues and the bloodying of the waters, is found in the plague accounts in Exodus 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. There are, these are similar to the plague allusions in chapters 8 and 9, which I discussed in episode 13, and episode 14. The punishment, the precedent for punishment for the lack of rainfall dates to events during the reign of Elijah the Tishbite from 1 Kings 17, 1 and 7. As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew or rain these years except at my word. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. The second reading from chapter 11 is verses 7 through 14. The illustration for this and the next several slides is Two Prophets and the Beast from the Abyss, ad adapted from Folio 27 of the Bamberg Apocalypse. When they had finished their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where our Lord, also our Lord, was crucified. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another, because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Now, after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. 
and they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. In the same hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake seven thousand people were killed, and the rest were afraid, and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming. The concept of the pit or the abyss as the resting place of the dead was discussed in episode 14 regarding Revelation 9 verses 1, 2, and 11. Now in verse 7, a new figure, the beast from the abyss, not previously described, emerges from the abyss. The beast is to be the murderer of the two witnesses from the first set of readings, 11 through 3 through 6. Here, I think St. John is recalling his own experience as witness to the day when he heard Jesus call the devil or Satan a murderer. He was a murderer from the beginning. John 8, verse 44. The city which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where our Lord also was crucified in verse 8, is Jerusalem. The spiritual meaning is that Jerusalem, the city of David the king, and metaphor for the Hebrew people and their relationship with God, were, like sinful Sodom and like Egypt, from which the Jews were led away from God, led away by God, had forgotten that they need God. In verses 8, 9, and 11, the prophecy is that dead bodies lie in the street for three and one-half days. As I have noted in the Primer on Numerology in episode 2 and in several earlier episodes of the series, three and a half signifies something which is incomplete. It is half of the perfect number seven. This was surely calculated to catch the attention of Jews since Hebrew tradition required that bodies be buried on the day of their death. In verse 9, John uses the phrase peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations again as in Revelation 10 verse 11. He prophesies that the people of the earth will rejoice and make merry and send gifts over the death of the two prophets, which means the two witnesses. The torment the two witnesses are accused of inflicting on the earth means they're warning the people of the coming of the final judgment and the need for repentance of their sins against God. Here John evokes the warnings of the writing prophets of the Old Testament. Advice to repent is rarely welcome. Redemption comes in verses 11 and 12 when after the three and a half days, a symbol of incompletion, the cycle is completed as the two witnesses are brought back to life by the breath of life from God. In the NKJV text, they are brought back by the, quote, breath of life from God and are invited by the voice from heaven to Come up here, another invitation to see things from the heavenly perspective 
as in the case of Moses on Mount Sinai in Exodus 19.24 and John himself in Revelation 4 verse 1. Where the New King James text says two witnesses were revived by the breath of life from God, the King James Version says it was by the, quote, spirit of life. Although the words are different, the meaning is the same, since both translations are based upon the Koine Greek word pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A, which means wind or breath or spirit. In Christian theology, this means the Holy Spirit, who is called the giver of life in the Nicene Creed, and who in Eastern Orthodox prayers is addressed as the all-holy and life-giving Spirit. The concept of God as the giver of life has both Old Testament and New Testament precedent. John's knowledge of the Old Testament is on display with this clear allusion to the dry bones prophecy of Ezekiel. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out of the spirit in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed there were, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again he said to me, Prophesy to these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you, and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. That's Ezekiel 37 verses 1 through 6. The New Testament precedent is St. John's own gospel, the account of the post-resurrection appearance of Jesus with ten of the disciples, including John himself. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. That's John 20, verses 21 and 22. In Anglican worship, the familiar 19th century hymn, Breathe on Me, Breath of God, written by Edward Hatch in 1878, is often used in association with the rite of Holy Eucharist. In verse 13, John reports the ascent of the two witnesses into heaven, accompanied by a great earthquake, another traditional symbol of the presence of God used several times previously in Revelation, in this case destroying a tenth of the city with 7,000 killed. One-tenth, like one-third, is another symbolic fraction, signifying that mercy was shown for nine-tenths of, tenths of the city was not destroyed. 
7,000 is a multiple of the magical number 7 times the symbolic word thousand, which in Hebrew means not a number, but great many. John tells us that the remaining nine-tenths of the earth were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. As with the first woe, John employs the dramatist's device of the pregnant pause, following it with a prophetic announcement intended to induce anticipation. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming. The third and final reading from chapter 11 is verses 15 to 19. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign for ever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail. The sounding of the seventh trumpet in verse 15 is considered by many Bible scholars, especially those in the Eastern Church, as the turning point in Revelation, a view shared slightly indirectly, as we'll see in the next episode, by many Roman Catholic scholars. Where everything from Revelation 4, verse 1, to Revelation eleven fourteen was prelude, everything from Revelation eleven fifteen to the end of the book is about judgment. The message is that the mysteries are over. With verse 15, the perspective has shifted from a focus on the perils of earth to the joys in heaven. In John's Gospel, we find a foretelling of this development. In John 12, verse 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. This is the same idea reported in the Gospel of St. Matthew in Matthew 13, verse 43b. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. St. John reports Jesus using the same expression at the end of the letters to each of the seven churches in Revelation in chapters 2 and 3, and which I discussed in episodes 5, 6, 7, and 8. 
Verse 15b announces that the revelation of all the mysteries of God has come and that there is joy in heaven at this news. The angels, who are the loud voices in heaven, sing a doxology. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. In verses 16, 17, and 18, the 24 elders fall down and worship God, but with a difference. Wherein Revelation 4, 10, and 11, they praise and worship him who sits on the throne as the worthy creator of all things. And in Revelation 5, 8 to 10, they praise and worship the Lamb, Jesus Christ. In verse 17, they praise him as Lord God Almighty, which comes from the Koine Greek Pantocrator, for which the Hebrew equivalent is El Shaddai. The title is used in the New Testament only ten times in the Greek New Testament, nine of which are in Revelation. And in the King James text, four times, all of them in Revelation. 4, 8, 11, 17, 15, 3, and 16, 7. The illustration is the Christ Pantocrator icon at the monastery of St. Catherine in Sinai, the oldest known icon of Jesus, made in the 6th century for the opening of the monastery. For more on the scriptural names of God, See the entries for Almighty, Lord, and Pantocrator in the AIC bookstore publication, The Layman's Lexicon, available in paperback and Kindle editions at Amazon.com, right slash author, right slash Ronald hyphen E hyphen Shibley. Again, 100% of all book royalties are contributed to the AIC. The 24 elders praise and acknowledge with a doxology, the seventh and longest of nine doxologies in Revelation. In it, they praise his immortality, speaking of the one who is and who was and who is to come. The same phrase which was used in the first doxology in Revelation, Revelation 4, verse 8. His power because you have taken your great power and reigned. His judgment and wrath. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and then later destroy those who destroy the earth. And they praise his promise of reward to his servants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great. John will use the phrase small and great again in Revelation 13, verse 16, 19, 5, 19, 18, and 20, 12. At the end of the doxology, John reports the temple of God opening in heaven with the Ark of the Covenant, lost after the destruction of Jerusalem in 67 A.D., restored to its rightful place, accompanied lightnings by lightnings, noises, thunderings, and earthquake and great hail, all symbols of the presence of the Almighty, which St. John used two previous times. 
Revelation 4, verse 5, and Revelation 8, verse 5. And we'll do so again in Revelation 16, verse 18, and Revelation 19, verse 6. These four events are also similar to the prophetic warnings in the writings of the Old Testament prophets mentioned in episode 13 and to Exodus 19, verse 16. And I should note that the covenant may have disappeared in the sacking of Jerusalem many centuries before the destruction of the third temple in Jerusalem in 67 AD. Modern interpreters speculate that this refers to a new tabernacle since the original was probably destroyed after being carried away by the Babylonian conquerors in 586 B.C. While John may have been nostalgic for a restoration of the temple as it existed before its destruction, later in Revelation he makes it clear that the church, wherever it is, and the faithful, wherever they are, are the new temple, or as he wrote in verse 19, this is a temple of God opened in heaven. Next time in episode 17, the focus is on chapter 12, the woman, the child, and the dragon. Thank you for joining me for episode 16 of Revelation, an idealist interpretation. This internet-based ministry is entirely supported by public contributions and book sales. You can help by making a donation in any amount payable to the Anglican Internet Church and sending it to our business office address, 7162 Sawtwin Lane, Mechanicsville, Virginia, 23111. Or you can purchase any of our books through my author page at Amazon.com, right slash author, right slash Ronald hyphen E hyphen Shipley. Again, a reminder, 100% of all book royalties are donated to the AIC. Or you can like us and subscribe to our podcast at our Podbean site, which hosts our extensive collection of hundreds of MP3 podcasts on a variety of topics. While you're at our YouTube page, I invite you to join our Google Plus circle by clicking the subscribe button. As a Google Plus member, you'll receive notice of each new video. Our new URL address is www.youtube.com right slash C right slash St. John C with Saint spelled out. Or you can follow us and like us on our Facebook page using either the full address on the screen or the link at the home page of our website www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. Then once you are there, bookmarking the page for easy return. Or you can read and subscribe to my weekly blog posts at anglicaninternetchurch.wordpress.com. Finally, you can request the weekly update, a weekly email with the latest news and links to the most recent videos, podcasts, blog posts, and publications. Send your request to me at frron.stjohnanglican at earthlink.net. The names and addresses of all recipients of the weekly update are blocked to protect your privacy 
and are not shared with any other organization. You can remove your name at any time simply by sending another email request. If you'd like to speak with me personally, please call 804-559-2690. The best times are 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Monday through Friday, Eastern Time. If you do not reach me, please leave your name, a message, and a callback number. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. We invite you to visit our website and use its resources, www.anglicaninternetchurch.net.